Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, is everyone doing all right? It's good to um, be um, here again tonight, and um, it's good to be continuing our, our theme here on revival and awakening. I hope you've been stirred and continuing to be stirred as we sense the Lord speak to us in these days. It's great to <clears throat> it's great to be in God's house together and uh, leaning into worship, sensing His presence, and uh, I'm wondering what else He wants to say and do amongst us. Um, if you're a visitor with us, hopefully you can pick up into our theme tonight and hopefully it'll be relevant to you we're trying to discern the times that we live so that we can um, provide direction for people and speak into um, what we think Jesus is saying to us in these days and uh, we want to encourage you to kind of come with us on that journey we've sensed the Holy Spirit uh, in this broader theme of revival and awaken speak to us uh, in a little kind of sub-series of that called first things first and um, I suppose it's a it's this idea that we feel like the Lord is calling us back to kind of a, a radical sense of simplicity and um, a passionate form of wholeheartedness to make the first things first in our faith. A, a, a call to tend to the flames of our own heart, a call to um, trim the wick, if you like, of the fire, uh, the flame in the hearts of each of our own lives, that we might have one of those undivided hearts that the Bible speaks about. Um, we were, uh, a few weeks ago, we had a Tabar overnight for the churches that have connected with us in Tabar and for the, the leaders of those churches. And during that time, there was a prophetic word came uh, <clears throat> around the Spirit reminding us that um, Jesus is walking amongst us um, like he is in Revelation. It tells us in Revelation, the book of Revelation, that Jesus is walking amongst us and uh, he is walking amongst the lampstand, which is the picture of the churches. Um, that we see in Revelation, that as Jesus was walking amongst us, he just was fanning in the flame our hearts. He was doing a little bit of work on the wick of the candle so that we would have a pure and undefiled flame in our hearts. And that was really encouraging because our whole series of First Things First is built out of the passage in Revelation when Jesus is walking amongst the lampstands and in particular, he's speaking to one of the churches. And it's a church in Ephesus. So if you don't mind me reminding you of this verse, it's... um. It's on the next screen, <clears throat> next slide, sorry, and it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands, there it is. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, and you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever's ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. <clears throat> and I think what we sense at the moment is God speaking to the church, both personally in our individual lives and Corporately, we sense the Holy Spirit speaking to us about <clears throat> how we 
want to be, how we want to return to our first love, to the first things, how we want to be renewed in our hearts and in our lives in order <clears throat> that he may do something wonderful in our time. And uh, we want to become aware of when we watch the Lord renewing his church like we feel he is amongst us. Um, as we look at the history of revivals in the scriptures and in the history of revivals that have since New Testament times throughout the last 2,000 years, we see that when God does this, it's usually because he wants to do something great beyond that. It's usually because there's something that he wants to do, a revival that will really outbreak in our cities and towns and nations and really transform culture. And with this returning and renewing that the Lord does in his church, there comes a holy desperation, a crying out to God to do something that only he can do. And uh, <clears throat> one of the other signs that have really encouraged me that I, as, as I have studied the history of revivals and looked a little bit more into what the Lord does in times like that, times of renewal in the church, is that there's always a return to what we might describe as a kind of biblical orthodoxy. There, in other words, they return to like a simplicity of the scriptures and a narrowing of the focus on the essentials. And when we see works of God moving in history, we see a, a, a centrality of the cross we see a simplicity and a wonder of the gospel once again being told with power and with demonstration. And that is a sign when we feel we're being called to return to the simplicity and the wonder and the trueness of the scripture. That's a sign that God is renewing his church and setting them up for something wonderful. And that, that's really encouraged me as I've done further study, even over the last few weeks, because when we think that the Lord spoken to us at the start of the year and said, first things first, it encouraged me that we're on the right track. I think we're hearing the Lord to hold our nerves, to not be intimidated by everything that's going on out in the world, to not be distracted and do the first things first, to stay focused on the heart of God and going deep into his heart. And some of the basic questions that that's left us with are on the screen. And we've looked at a number of these questions over the last few weeks, asking ourselves how much we love Jesus, how much we love his Holy Spirit and surrender to his Spirit, love his word, and allow it to shape who we're becoming. And, uh, and tonight I really feel that the Holy Spirit wants to release a fresh wave of intimacy in this place that will lead to a, a, a deep encounter of, in our lives that will overflow into an encounter with other people. Okay? That's where I think the Lord wants us to go tonight. And to do that, I want us to begin by looking at the Gospel of John, okay? And I want to take us through some of the first chapter of John particularly to show us what I think the Holy Spirit wants to do with us tonight and where he wants to bring us. And this really gets to the essence of what revival and awakening is all about, why we seek it in the first place and what we should expect as a result of it. And so I'm going to read the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. It's called the prologue, um, okay? The first 18 verses are called the prologue of John, and they kind of set us up for the rest of the Gospel of John. Um, one of the reasons I'm speaking about it tonight is because I felt the Holy Spirit just lead me or to read the Gospel of John this year, and uh, probably um, I'll, re I'll read other things, but just felt like the Lord, you know, so I'm on my, there's 21 verses, so you can get through, if you read a chapter a day or so, you can get through, uh, uh, you know, you can get through the Gospel in a month. So I'm on my third go-round now, um, this year and, and spending lots of time and it's funny when you read and reread the Bible what you see the third and fourth time that you didn't see the first time it's a beauty of the scriptures and and so I, I, I want to um, I'm speaking hopefully out of some of the personal things that the Lord's been doing in me as well as we read this so let me, let's just honor God's word and let me read these 18 verses and please just I know sometimes when we just read the word of God there's a tendency to switch off please don't do that let's just honor 
the Holy Spirit's presence amongst us and the words that God breathed in and through the Apostle John. Because these are some of the most eloquent in some ways, but more, more powerful and anointed words that were ever written in the history of the world. And that is not an overstatement. All right? John chapter 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness, to test as a witness, to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Wonderful words, wonderful words. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And so I want to say a few important things about these words that hopefully um, set the scene for where I feel like the Lord wants to minister to us tonight. The first thing that you get when you read these words are, in the beginning was the word, okay? Now, when you hear the word, word, <laughs> when you hear the word, word, here, what, what we're getting at is John is pointing to the person of Jesus. So if you're a new believer and you haven't a clue what this is all about, right? You got to think when John says the word here, he's pointing to Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, basically, right? But <clears throat> in saying that, he, he could have said Jesus, but, but he didn't say Jesus. He said the word, and he used this word, word, for a particular reason when he was speaking about Jesus. <clears throat> in the Greek, the word for word is Logos, okay? It's Logos in the Greek. And um, uh, that carries such profound themes. And it carries a really profound theme both to Jewish people, a Jewish audience, and also to a Greek audience, okay? So it, it, the word Logos, I want you to hear this tonight because this is really important. Logos, both to a Jewish audience and a Greek audience, John is being very, very clever the way he's using this word and positioning this word. So to the Jew, first of all, to the Jew, the idea of logos, the word, um, which is what that word means, is <clears throat> meant a lot because the Jews knew that their story of creation started with the word of God. For the Jew and for the Israelite, the idea of the, the spoken word of God was, was a really profound and important thing because it was what set them apart. You see, the other gods didn't speak right? The other gods didn't speak. Israel's God spoke. 
literally spoke. He actually, out of his voice, out of his mouth, he created the world. He spoke, and I don't know how this happened, but somehow light shot out of his mouth and created the world, right? And so the creative energy and force and power in the word, the spoken word of God meant a lot to the Jew, to the average Israelite, if you want to put it like that. In Psalm 29, you can read about this. I'm not going to take time, but the whole of Psalm 29 is pretty much talking about what the voice of God does, how it strips the forest burr. It says that the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. For the Israelite, their God spoke, their God acted. And this was central to the Jewish understanding of who Jesus was. And so what John is saying here is actually really profound. He's saying the word, the spoken word of God, which meant a lot to the Israelites throughout their whole story of the Old Testament, is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That Jesus is the personification of the word of God right? In other words, when God wants to say something, it looks like Jesus, right? The spoken word of God is personified in the person of Jesus. And so while the word created everything and spoke into being creation itself, as well as spoke into being the Israelite people and God's word to them and his love that he set upon them, is now being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. He is the ultimate fulfillment of the story. That's the Jewish audience. The Greek audience, okay, they also had an idea of this word logos. While they didn't necessarily believe in Israel's God, the Greeks were like philosophers. They were like intellectuals, a lot of them. And they still influence a lot of our thought today, by the way, okay? And in their philosophizing and in their studies, the Greek people and their kind of intellectual elite came to realize that behind the reason of the world and behind all of creation, they believed in some kind of mysterious idea, some kind of harmonious order, some kind of plan behind everything that existed. They, they believed in some kind of mysterious force that held together everything that existed, a kind of wisdom, an order behind it all. And the word that they used for that kind of wisdom behind everything that was held together was Logos. And so what John's doing here, he's being incredibly clever when he takes this word logos and he starts off his gospel with, in the beginning was the logos, was the spoken word of God that you would have heard and was the reason and wisdom behind everything that ever existed the Greek would have heard. And he's saying, in the beginning, Jesus, Jesus was all of these come together. And so ultimate meaning was found in Jesus. That's what John is saying from the very beginning. Ultimate meaning for why we exist, why creation exists, why the world exists, is found in Jesus. Abundant meaning for our lives. Out of his fullness, this kind of meaning for our lives and existence, how everything is held together, is found in Jesus. So that's incredible within itself, don't you think? Oh my goodness. Right. <clears throat> this is wonderful, isn't it? Come on. This is great. This is great, right? The ultimate meaning is found in Jesus, right? And John is like being very clever in the way he does this. But he's not just saying that. He's not just saying ultimate meaning is found in Jesus. He is saying that Jesus is with God. He's saying that Jesus is God, but he's also saying that Jesus is with God, right? He was there in the beginning with God. So some translators put it like this, he was turned towards God. He was in communion with God. He was present to God. 
And so John in these first few verses is actually saying that in Jesus, in the Logos, is not just ultimate meaning, but in the Logos is ultimate love. Abundant love is found in Jesus. What do you mean you say? Well, <clears throat> well God is love because God is more than one person. God is one, and yet God is three distinct personalities, right? The doctrine of the Trinity. And God is love because in himself there is a relationship between the Father and the Son that is so deep and so beautiful and so profound and so intimate and so intricate that we can't even get our minds around it. All we have to can do is surrender our hearts to it and embrace the mystery and wonder of it. Right? And Jesus the Word was with God in the beginning. So I want you to think about this for a minute. Get your, just, I, know, I know I'm working you a bit hard tonight, but get your head just out of everything that's going on in your world today, right? And all, all the kind of ways that we kind of think just to try and organize our lives. Get your head out of that for a moment if you can, right? And let's kind of go into that place that before the existence of time, before even creation was created, before God even did speak creation into being, God the Father and Jesus shared intimate, intimate, intimate communion, total love and surrender to one another in the most deepest, beautiful relationship of joy and delight and wholeness that you could ever imagine. Right? He was with God. And so not just ultimate meaning is found in Jesus, but ultimate love is found in in Jesus. <clears throat> this is what God is love really means. We don't say God is love just because God love, does loving things. He does. But we could say love is God. But love is God isn't accurate. Because then we define God by the love that we see. But God is love because God is more than one person. God is a relationship of beings in and of himself. This actually, if you've never known this before, what I want to say to you, this changes the game completely in how you think about God. And the reason I'm telling you this is <clears throat> not because I'm like geeking out in some kind of theological thing here for the sake of it, right? The reason I'm telling you this is it's because it's got profound implications for our lives and how we live them. That God in himself is a real life of loving union. Right? Now think about that. God in himself is a real life of loving union. And I believe the Holy Spirit is the person of that union of the love of the Father and the Son. And so when the Holy Spirit comes to us, we should sense and know and become aware of the love of the Father and the Son. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do tonight, by the way. He wants to come and bring to us the loving union of the Father and Son. Because that's who he is. He brings you anything other than that. It's not the Holy Spirit, I don't believe. Because that's who the Holy Spirit is. And why I'm telling you all this, why John has set this out in the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, is because basically the rest of his gospel, through the life of Jesus, is an invitation into that love and into that meaning. Into the abundance of love and into the abundance of meaning. Why does Jesus turn water into wine in the next chapter? Because there's an abundance of love and an abundance of meaning. Why does Jesus take five loaves and two fishes? Because there's abundance of love and abundance of meaning. It's out of his fullness we have saved. Right. 
And so the rest of the gospel is an invitation into that love. And so <clears throat> to help prove the point, jump, let's jump further down and look at the last verse that I read in those first 18 verses. And it says this, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God as, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The King James, which I prefer better in this particular verse, is no one hath, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. So no one has actually seen God. But Jesus, the one who is in closest relationship with the Father, the one who this word is saying is in the bosom of the Father, in closest relationship with him, right up near his heart. He has revealed the glory of God. The Greek word for this, sorry, this is a bit of a lesson in Greek tonight. The Greek word for this in English, the best we can do is klopos, K-L-O-P-O-S. That's the Greek word in Greek letters in the, in the black. And it basically means womb or bosom or lap. But it's getting at the innerness of who God is. And wherever the most deepest place in the heart of the Father is, that's where Jesus lives. That's what Jesus enjoyed with the Father. And that's where he wants to bring you. That's where he wants us to hang out. That's where he wants us to live. He wants to save us from our sins. He wants to save us from a lost eternity. He wants us never to be lost and in hell. But more than just get us out of that, he wants us to live here with him in this place. He came into the world to bring us to this place. And this becomes more and more obvious as we go through the Gospel of John. In fact, it kind of gets really, really obvious by the time you get to John 17, Watch this. Look, Jesus is praying to the Father. Look what he says. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before, with you before the world began. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is actually saying, the place that I enjoyed with you, Father, now glorify me because that's where I'm longing to be back in. It's not that he ever left walking in communion with God, but there was a sense in which he had to... Um, Veil his glory. He had to leave the place of heaven and come and walk on the earth, and he was longing to go back. But as you go through this prayer, here's the amazing thing, and I really want you to get this tonight. The Holy Spirit help us to get revelation in this tonight. He doesn't want to go back on his own. He wants to bring us all there. And so later on in that verse, he says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order, look, that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. It's like, it's so obvious now. So I've given you the theology, if you like, of John 1, but now Jesus is just saying it plainly. I've come to, 
have come. Father, I want to be with you to enjoy the glory that we once had. But Father, I want to take them to that place. I want the love that we have to be in them and them in us. Profound and beautiful. And we can only have access to that place by the Holy Spirit. We can only have access through an encounter of God's love revealed to us by the Spirit. You can only access that place from your own womb, if you like. Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is flesh, flesh is born of the flesh. That which is spirit gives birth to spirit. Some of us will call ourselves Christians and we'll come to church and we'll do this, but we've never had the Holy Spirit revelation and encounter of that love. And when God renews his church, that's what he wants to pour into it. By the Spirit, the love of the Father. It's beyond a mental ascent. It's a beyond an intellectual kind of rational thing. It's an act of faith in a person of Jesus through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to bring us there tonight. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And I feel like tonight, just a few other things to say and then love us to kind of worship and pray. Just sense the Holy Spirit wants to release that tonight on us. I feel like he wants to release a fresh wave of intimacy in the house to take, to take us right into the bosom of the Father, right into the womb of God. And the whole point is that, first of all, we can enjoy that. But as a natural consequence of that, that we will overflow with that. So the world out there will get an encounter of the love of the Father revealed in Jesus. That's what they got with Jesus. They saw the glory of the Father in his life. And that's what Jesus wants them to get through our lives. He wants the world to get an encounter of the love of the Father. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's the point of revival. So that we can overflow with the intimacy of the love of God, the glory and the goodness of his character in the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says there are, these are the motives in praying for revival. For the name and the honor of the glory of God and for the sake of the church which is his. Yes, and then for the sake of those who are outside that are scoffing, mocking, jeering and ridiculing. These are the motives for revival, for, the, for a revelation of the glory of God. That's what we're living for. We're more interested in the glory of God than we are our own reputation and what we're getting out of life. And through that, for his church, and through his church, into the world. And we want to enter into the place of the glory of God. I don't know what that makes you feel like. I don't know what your ambition for your life is. Young person, older person, I don't know what it is. But I would make this my primary ambition. To live my life. To live my life in this place of intimacy with the Father. Because nobody's going to love you like he does. No one can get even close to loving you like he does. He wants you to know the revelation of the Father. See, the fruit of true revival isn't talking about revival. The fruit of true revival is talking about Jesus and intimacy with his presence. Revival is the revelation of the goodness of God. And what will start to happen as we encounter it is other people will get caught up in that encounter. And, um, and we start to see that already in John chapter 1. So I want to just share a couple more things before we pray. And this is important as we kind of bring this to land. So after those first 18 verses, jump down, to, jump, jump down to verse 35 and it says this. 
The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. So John the Baptist was doing his baptizing, right? And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples who heard him say this, they followed Jesus, right? So this is quite funny, I think. So John says, there's the Lamb of God over there. And these two disciples of John say, okay, we'll start walking after him. So off they go walking after him. And I don't know, Jesus then kind of has a wee bit of a look around. See two boys, see two boys following him. And he goes, uh, what do you want? <laughs> That's just funny, I think, right? He's just like, what, what do you want, right? And uh, this, this is how kind of probably natural it was. So they're walking after Jesus. Jesus is aware of like two kind of sort of stalkers somewhere in the back. And he's like, what do you guys want? And they, I don't know whether they were nervous or whether they really thought about this, but they just go, where are you staying? Where are you going? And um, Jesus said, come and you'll see. See, with Jesus, it's never like some forced kind of thing. With Jesus, it's always invitation. All right, come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. So they went and they saw where they were staying. And they spent, you get this, they spent the day with him. And it was four in the afternoon. It's funny, isn't it? We'll come back to that in a moment. Four o'clock in the afternoon. Why would you put that detail in? You know, you could say lots of other things. Like, why, why record the time at this particular point? 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who had followed Jesus. Look at this. Did you really think, like, we were hearing God in this series? The first thing, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him. He brought him to Jesus. So here's two disciples. We know that one's Andrew. We don't really know who the other one is. I think it's probably, probably potentially John himself, right? We don't know who the other one was, but we do know that one of them was Andrew. And um, they want to know where Jesus is staying, right? And what's happening at this point is they're following him physically, right? They're actually following him physically, but they're being drawn into the mystery of the love of the Father. Here's what I want to say tonight. Some of you here tonight, and you just about got here physically. You just came because you come to church on a Sunday night. You got here physically. But Jesus said to you tonight, come and see where I'm staying. And the invitation is here to come and stay with him, to be with him, to remain with him. It's interesting that this word for staying, which is used a couple of times, final Greek lesson tonight, okay, is the word menim, okay? And it's the word to stay or to abide or to dwell. It's another really important theme in the Gospel of John. 63 times this word's used in the Gospel of John. And it obviously crescendos in John chapter 15. If you know your Bible a little bit, you'll know the, the, parable, the, the story that Jesus talks about where he describes, my father is the vine dresser, the heart, the, 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 the about being, uh, about being in the vine and how Jesus is the vine and how we must remain in him and abide in him and all of that, right? 63 times it mentions it. And it mentions it again in this particular passage. And in chapter in verse 39, it says, they saw, they saw where he was staying. I just read it a moment ago, but I'm just drawing attention to it with one verse here. They saw where he was staying or dwelling and they spent or dwelt the day with him. Dwelt the whole day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. You see, this is what a genuine encounter with Jesus will do in your heart. 
You remember them. You remember moments where you didn't pray at church, where you didn't go through the motions, but where you encountered the living God. And the Bible's full of them. And the story of God as it unfolds is built upon human beings like you and me having an encounter with the living God. And so when I read my Bible these days and I come to those bits where Abraham meets with the living God, where Moses goes up a mountain and meets with the living God, where David writes his Psalms about connecting with the living God, when Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. I'm on the edge of my seat, if that's the way to put it, as I read those, because I'm entering into moments in history where people met with the living God. Andrew and whoever was with him, if it was John, in these moments, they met with the living God and they could tell you and go back to the point, it was four in the afternoon that day. We'd been with him all day and we met with Jesus. And that's why I want to study those stories in the Bible. And it's that, that's, why, that's why I want to spend some of my time going and visiting these moments where God broke in to people's lives and in the history. God of our mothers and fathers. Yeah. Come like you promised. That's why these are marked in history, actual times. 1727 in a village in Germany, in Hernot, when the Holy Spirit descended upon a people. It's marked in history as a moment. That's their four o'clock in the afternoon. 1859, about 20, 30 miles from here, when the Holy Spirit basically like nuked a room, fell on a place. 1904 in Wales, when the Holy Spirit fell on a bunch of young people. That was there four o'clock in the afternoon. It's marked and recorded in history. 1906 in the back streets of Los Angeles, Azusa Street, when the Holy Spirit came and encountered people, the living God. 1949, the last great awakening that we know of in the British Isles and the Hebrides, right? When the Holy Spirit came and moved. And then there's all our own moments. 1997, the summer of 1997, when I was a 17-year-old boy and encountered the living God. And everything changed. What about those encounters? Has anybody, um, has anybody ever heard Phil talking about walking home from school and going over the little bridge and doing that? And William's heard about it anyway. <laughs> William's. Uh, <laughs> that one's got William going, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> praise the Lord, right? Uh, what I was just actually going to say was, right? <laughs> Is that, has anybody ever heard Phil tell that, tell that story, right? What I was actually going to say was, you should get Phil someday, right? All, all seriousness, get him in your car, take him for a drive, let him take you to the little kind of bridge 
that one day is whatever, what age are you? 11? 11. As an 11-year-old boy, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He didn't even have language. You should go there. Go there with him someday. What about those times you encounter God? I want to take my kids to places. That's why I'm really looking forward to Nua. Because I want to tell my grandkids, we went to a place and we encountered the living God. That was a moment in history. I want my grandkids to be able to go. Do you know what? I want to be able to sit with them and tell them, not only did, 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 did I encounter the living God, but their mom and dad encountered the living God. And that the Holy Spirit did something beautiful and profound. God of our mothers and fathers. Yeah, God of our mothers and fathers, all those moments in history, that's what we want our encounter to be. This is the result of hearts that are drawn into the very bosom of the Father. And what will happen as a result of this? What will happen as a result of this is we will overflow with that encounter for the world. Like what would have happened if Abraham had never had that encounter? What would happen if Moses had never had that encounter? What would have happened in my life, 17, if I hadn't had that encounter? What would have happened? I, I don't really want to think where my life would have went if I hadn't had that encounter with the living God. And out of that came a desire for other people to know. And so when, when, you, when you know this, like Andrew did, Four o'clock in the afternoon. And then it says this, the next verse. The first thing he did was to find his brother and tell him, I found Jesus. I mean, like the real deal. The real thing. Not all this talk about the Messiah. Not all this thing that was going on and who it could be and what he could look like. We have found him. And so he brought him. He brought him to Jesus. And I just feel like as it closed tonight, that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us to, into this place of the bosom of the Father. He wants us to have a genuine encounter. Not evangelism because you have to. Or because we're telling you you have to get involved in something. But, but because you've encountered Jesus, you've encountered the living God, you've encountered his presence. You've been drawn into the bosom of the Father. And the place of the bosom of the, of the Father is... The womb of God, the womb, it's a place of overflow. <laughs> it's a place of overflow. That's why God came in the first place. Holy, holy, pure love. And authentic evangelism is an overflow of encounter. That's what it is. And I feel like the Lord wants to do that tonight. And I just believe we're being drawn deeper into the womb of God as a people. I believe that even tonight, as I thought about it this week, I sensed that Holy Spirit just wanted to come upon us as we, as we pray tonight and as we finish. He wants to come upon us like almost collectively that the womb of God is here tonight. And he wants us to go deep into that place. And as we step into it tonight, we're making, self, we're making ourselves available for the overflow of that encounter to touch the lives of other people. We're making ourselves available to allow what we encounter the first thing to be. Who's the first person you can get to tomorrow morning? You see, when, when, you, when you say that, and it feels like, when you say that from the point of view of, right, you need to evangelize tomorrow, we all feel a wee bit, like, afraid, don't we? I, I know I do. I, I kind of struggle with that, like, because all of a sudden I think I'm in the back foot. But what I've started to find is when I genuinely encounter the Lord and trust the Holy Spirit, 
to open and lead me, but then it becomes a much more natural expression to overflow with the level of encounter and to look some people in the face and to look some people in the eye and to maybe put my hand on someone's shoulder and remind them of the love of the Father and the love of Jesus. I was out for a run last Saturday night. It was really, really, really cold. And um, I didn't know why I was running around. And I did a couple of laps of the park. And then on <coughs> there was a little, there was a, there, was a, there was a couple who were sitting under an umbrella, like chatting around the phone. I'm thinking like, what, 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 like, I know I'm a bit stupid for running in this, but what would ever possess you to be sitting on a park bench underneath like an umbrella at this particular point on the Saturday kind of late afternoon? And as I ran past them the, th- the, th- the second time, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, you just need to go back and, and tell them that God loves them. It's like, Lord, I, it's really cold. Plus, I'm, I'm um, not as young as I used to be. I'm not sure I'm going to get round another, another lap here, you know. And, and so um, I sort of like did a bit of a shortcut, to be honest, to, to, to get back towards them. And as I started to walk towards them, just get, they actually got up to walk home. And so this very natural kind of thing happened where I walked along this, beside this young couple, about 18, 19, and just started to talk to them. We started to talk about how cold it was <laughs> and football or whatever. And then as they left, you just got that, you just got that opportunity to say, listen, I know this might be sounding strange, but I'm a Christian. I just really feel like Jesus wants you to know that he loves you. Can I leave that with you? Yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate that. And off they went about their business. Because what happens is when you're really genuinely encountered the Lord, the first thing you want to do is tell others. And for those of us who did really, really genuinely encounter the Lord at one point in our lives, we remember those days when the first thing that we wanted was for other people to know it. And some of us, some of us, just that just seems like a really big deal now to do that. And I'm speaking to my own heart as well and saying, you know, sometimes I've just really got away from that. But that's why the Lord has to renew his church. That's why the Lord has to revive his church. So that what we do aren't man-made attempts to get people in, but the genuine overflow of what we have experienced and where we have been in the womb of the Father that overflows with loving kindness and radical acts of generosity and grace into the lives of other people. And that's what I feel the Holy Spirit wants to do tonight. So I'm going to ask Dixie and the guys to come just gently and quietly to come up and... um, I'm going to respond to the Lord together. Why don't you just take a moment and rest in the presence of God and close your eyes if you want.
Holy Spirit, we just want to ask you in these moments that you would just intensify the sense of your presence in this place. So that we can sense and know that you're here. I want to ask you to increase the sense of your presence in these moments. Come, Lord. against every distraction. Come against all fear and doubt in the name of Jesus. We ask that you would quiet the voices in our own heads that are competing for our attention. Even in these moments, just we speak to those voices and we say, be quiet in Jesus' name. Jesus, that we would become aware by your spirit of your deep desire and your deep invitation to bring us to where you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you are with the Father. In the womb of the Father. We can only go there when we, when we surrender our own wounds, our own spirits to you, we allow you to come deep in there. We just pray for that encounter tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy individually but even over this room in these moments I just want to ask God that Holy Spirit right over this world over this room that you would in a sense help us to recognize just the openness of your heart to us and that you would come in and wonder speak to us come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit we really need you we really need you stand in a moment. 
worship for a little bit. And, um, but I just, uh, I just I, this might not be for everyone tonight. I think it is for all of us in different ways. But I personally would just love to pray for you tonight if you feel like the Lord wants to draw you into a deeper place of his presence right up beside the Father. So I'm going to just um, st- stand here. And um, if a number of people respond, we may pray collectively. We just love to kind of lay, lay hands on. What I want to encourage you to think about as you come to that place of encounter and feel like an invitation to come further into the bosom of the Father where Jesus is, right up close to the heart of God. I want want you to do that with an openness of heart to be available for the overflow of that encounter. I want you to put yourself in a place where you're saying, I want to surrender to what this might mean because I know when I encounter the Lord, when I encounter His presence, then the first thing that I want to do overflow with that encounter and so um, let's respond with that in mind this morning why don't we stand our feet let's worship together and um, I'll just be um, I'll just be here come into this space if you'd like us to pray for you and we'll start doing that maybe some of the prayer ministry team will come forward as well and just lay hands on people as we do this now We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.